Okay, folks, why don't we uh, get going? Just because I work with the Grateful Dead doesn't mean I have to wait 20 minutes after we're supposed to start. So we'll do just a few. Welcome, everybody. Hope you all had a wonderful lunch and won't put you to sleep too badly. Um, welcome to the Virtual Musical Collaboration panel here. We've got a really, actually, wonderful lineup of panelists here all well three of these guys are focused on uh, almost putting guys like me out of business in terms of being a partner and owner in a studio but you know the more you look at it my guys are doing it so uh, I think it's going to be good for all of us first I'd like to start with introductions I'll start with Brian Michael Cox joining us from Atlanta he is very well-known producer it's 12 Grammy nominations eight wins Owns the only Guinness World Record holder I know. He owns the Guinness World <laughs> Record for being the longest charter on the Billboard charts with five years where he knocked off the Beatles. Uh, responsible for pretty selling. It's very impressive. Very, very. Do you have that record on you by chance? Did they give you a trophy or anything? They did give you? me a plaque. Oh, you don't have it on you? No, no, no. Got it. I should probably wear it around my neck, though. Yeah, it's probably like a check for the I think so. <laughs> anyway, Brian being a consistently hardworking super producer will give us a, uh, a good aspect on how he is using the solutions that these guys are providing. And if I can first start with Chris down there, maybe you can give a quick 30 second on what you guys do. Then we'll go back to Brian and talk about how he's working and then each of you guys can chime in. So Chris from Gobbler. Hello, everyone. So yeah, um, Gobbler is a creative cloud. We basically just made it our mission to simplify the process for people with creative brilliance to work together um, and really to try to eliminate the pain of having to manage files. And, um, you know, we've just looked at what workflows are for audio and video and figured out that there's room for plenty of improvement. And so we've built something that we think is really simple to use but powerful enough to get the job done. Next we have from Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Jimbo Latimer. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm the CEO of Musicistic. Musistic's first product is a patent-pending plugin that allows you to send uncompressed audio directly between any two audio workstations. So from Pro Tools to Cubase to Logic to Live without any compression or any loss of quality and without ever getting out of your creative space. And next, Steve from Splice. Yeah, so um, Splice connects the music creation process. We are all virtual collaboration people here. And kind of unlocks the power of the music's DNA and uh, frees you from just doing work inside the DAW, but connects like Ableton Logic FL Studio to the web, gives you a version control system for your work, allows you to visualize the DNA of your track, like see the full arrangement on the web, and gives you a new way to create, collaborate, and then share your work with the world uh, beyond just the two-channel audio, but share sessions and, and that kind of stuff. Thanks, guys. Now, I'd like to go back to Brian. Can you give me a give us a synopsis of how you are working, how it's changed from, say, five years ago, and where you think you're going to be in another two years? Um, I've been in the music business since the late 1990s. So, you know, we've seen a, a tremendous transition happen from, you know, from uh, tape to, you know, using DAWs and, like, as a the main source of recorded music. Um you know, just in the past five years, you know, I've, my, my studio went from, you know, having, you know, Pro Tools HD3 and all this different stuff to just really um, a Mac Mini um, using Pro Tools Native. You know, I mean, it's just really, really it's so condensed. It's so, it's so much easier now to make to make these records, which makes it easier for us to collaborate. Now, what I think is amazing about each one of these uh, platforms is that, you know, I couldn't have imagined having a platform like one of these coming up because what we do now in order to collaborate um, is faster than what we did in the past and it's cheaper, but it's still not as efficient as any one of these platforms. You know, you still kind of start an idea. I may send a logic session via, you know, we transfer or via, you know, um, whatever, whatever platform it is. And then, of course, if the sounds match, you know, uh, then you kind of have to figure out the session and then make sure it sounds good and then kind of build on top of it. Um, what I've been doing lately is, uh, I'm, I, like for example, I'm working with this uh, artist named Daly, who um, songwriter in London. I will send him tracks. He'll send me back sessions um, with with his plugins kind of already printed on it because he may have plugins that I don't use and stuff like that. But it's 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 become almost like a 
a, you know, we've recorded like eight records together in a, in a matter of like three or four days. So it's just, a, it's just, it's so, it's so much easier now, man, to, to. So it's enhanced your productivity oh, man, tremendously. Uh, tremendously. Like in a way that um, I couldn't have, I couldn't even imagine. And being able to collaborate with so many different writers and so many different artists via this whole way of doing it. You know, not being, I mean, you know, th- there's a pop writer in LA that I have not met. I only saw her on my timeline because she wrote a song that I really liked. And I was like, yo, I hit her on Twitter like, hey, I'd like to collaborate with you. She's like, well, you can call my manager. I said, well, no, how about I just send you some tracks? I'm not trying to, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just want yeah, I, I to get, get a song, you know. And um, I sent her a few tracks. She sent them right back. Like, it's that's the way we work now. That is how we work. It's not even, you know. I mean, it's the best way to get it done. How often do you fall prey to? I know it's people misread an email or a text to uh, taking the tone wrong. You really got to work on it, how you say things. Yeah, yeah. You have to be very. I, I try not to do things in all caps. You know, you try not to <laughs> <laughs> try not to put a whole lot of you know uh, uh, exclamation marks and nothing uh-huh. like that. Um, you know, and I, I found uh, I found an interesting use of emojis. <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> you know, you, 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 you say something, you put a smiley face at the, at the end of it, and it's like, yeah, oh, okay. Use the turd one. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I use the turd one if I'm like, if I send it back, I'm like, yo, this this song is the, uh, you know, you. it's the shit. We put the turd <laughs> on the end of it. You know what I mean? So or you say, oh, this song is shit. You know, you put the turd on it. You, know? <laughs> you know, but it, it's just it's so amazing, man. And I, and I I tend to think that I'm a part of the generation that kind of like is in the middle ground, you know, because I, I was around when we had to, you know, cut tape and when we had to, you know, track records. I remember back in the day, my manager's in the audience, we um we used to make records. You know, he had a studio, they had D88s, and, you know, and at that point, it was state of the art. It was like, you know, D88s, NPC, you know, all these different, you know, state of the art equipment. And whenever we sold a record, right, we'd have to, then book another studio, right? And my, I was doing things on that. You know, you might anybody remember that tape? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I would, I would, I would make my tracks and put it on that tapes, right? And then we would sell it. We would sell songs. When it's time to sell a song, we have to book another studio, right? To basically take our D88, you know, machines and our tapes and all of our equipment, go to this other studio and then cut the track to two inch. So basically, track the beat out. So then I got to go through and find all the sounds. Hopefully, I remember every sound. You know, I, I was a terrible at logging, uh, <laughs> keeping count or keeping a log of my sounds. But you have to go through, listen to the track, find the sound, listen to the track, and then track the beat out. And hopefully, the beat lines up with the vocals. If it doesn't line up, then you're offsetting the machines. You remember, I, I know y'all remember all that. So to be a part of that process and now to see how um, – how simplified it is at this point. You know what I mean? Um, and a lot of times you hear people say, well, you know, they don't sound the same or you go, I mean, it's, it's, it's all apples or oranges. Like these kids coming up, they don't know, they don't know the difference. Well, that, that's you a know? good point you're making right now. If you, if you are, let me ask how many producers are, are in the audience now? Okay. So we got a fair bit there. How many musicians using this? Oh, great. Oh, good. Now we can kind of tailor the conversation. Yeah. Now, a, a young musician coming up or an engineer, say, going to Expressions College or something, you really got to focus on getting your, your IT skills down. Absolutely. Right. And what do you see? Do you see people that this just is not working with, that you've worked with, that can't, that need the personal in-the-room interaction? Have you had any pushback from any artists that need their handheld? Um. You know what's amazing about artists now is that they could pretty much do it themselves. You know, I think the difference, you know, back in the day, if, you know, like in, if you were able to produce, write, record, like if you were like a prince, you know, prince was doing all of that stuff in the, in the early 80s and it was like magnificent. Like, yo, you are a genius, you know. Now this is how, this is how artists, this is how they do it. Like they like they don't they don't need engineers they don't need you know they go on YouTube and find out the you know they get their little classes on YouTube or they you know they figure out how to do, get different secrets I'm on YouTube giving secrets Timberland's on YouTube giving secrets you know and you just kind of formulate your own um, style of recording you know what I mean to the point where these artists and these songwriters and these producers are so self-contained at this point that's and of course we can delve into that we were talking about it earlier how the studio business is just taking a hit. Because yeah. of the 
you know, creatives being able to be self-contained at this point. You know, you look up. I remember five, six years ago, Hit Factory closed, and I was like, "What? The Hit Factory? Then Sony Music Studios closed. Like Sony Music Studios closed. You know, it's like then Battery closed, and it's like, wait, wait, wait. So now the 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 studio business started taking a hit because we can now make full-fledged records, whether they're you know live sounding records. Like it's an artist out that I'm working with by the name of Clinton Barbers, who's uh, he plays 18 instruments. One of the most talented cats I've ever come encounter with, right? He played me his EP. I was all live. I was like, yo, how'd you record this? He's like, well, yeah, I just, you know, I have drums set up in my living room, and I have this, that, and the third, a, a Rhodes. A, a, he plays bass. He plays guitar. He plays horns. So I just basically start with a click track, and I record it all myself. I have a laptop and a 002. And, hmm. you know, he, 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 don't have, he don't have the new shit. He got a 002, you know? <laughs> and he made his whole EP live. You know, so for me, it was like even one end of it, you know, you have people who say, okay, well, you know, technology is just fucking up music and nobody's making no real shit. Right. But then I meet a guy who all he does is live shit. You know what I mean? That he doesn't he doesn't program. He doesn't do nothing. He basically comes out of his head and and he makes an album in a week, you know, and I'm like, damn, like at, at the end of the day, you. It's just it's just the way it's, it's done now, man. I, I think that's what we're all trying to do. I think all three of us on the technology side of this is just trying to unlock all the potential that technology can bring to the musicians. Yeah. Let them focus on just making music yeah, right. and not have to you know fuck with files and not have to worry about clunky experiences. Right. And the more we can do to make it streamlined and unlock all that potential, we're doing our jobs. Yeah. And that's what inspires like that. Those kind of stories like that's what inspires us. It's like the more and more we can make that happen, the better music that's going to get made, and then everyone's going to be psyched about technology because we're ushering in the whole new era of, of music, and that's what inspires us. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that, that the production tools are in the hands of the people, and anybody can make a record. The problem with that sometimes is that anybody can make a record by themselves yeah. and maybe shouldn't do it. So that's one of the things that we're focused on is the collaboration part of it, that maybe you play Rhodes, maybe you play drums, but you don't play bass, and you need to find that bass player. But to fly him into L.A., you know, or ATL, is going to cost you ten grand just to get him there. Well, let's do it remotely so that, you know, go engineer it yourself, and we'll fix it. I think, I think one of the big issues is that, you know, the way technology's been built around audio is that there's all these walled gardens. And, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, it, it, it's very difficult for people to break past them, um, whether it's, you know, which plugins you're using, what version of an operating system you're using, what version of a, a, a particular DAW you're using, or one person uses one DAW and another person uses another one. And, and you know, and... <coughs> You know, there there have been attempts to solve these problems, and so like in documents, that's what became of the PDF, and now mm -hmm. the document problem's just been solved. And I think that um, you know, in audio, it's just it's kind of still pretty old school in terms of um, how companies view uh, the intellectual property of their software, and it's really to the detriment of musicians and artists because they're forced to actually have to make choices that go against you know the regular comfort levels. And I think that you know, technology can help bridge some of those gaps um, and eliminate some of that decision making and hopefully over time you know we'll be able to push companies to be more free thinking about how they look at their intellectual property so that um, you know artists can decide just in, pick up a guitar well which one shall I pick up they all plug in with this nice chord that fits into every single one of them I don't have to worry about you know uh, using a different chord for a different guitar um, and unfortunately that's the case with software um, and so I think that you know one of the things that technology can do is to help push um, many of these companies to think in a more collaborative way um, because in the end we're all at the service of artists um, that's why we build our products and um, and anything that we can do uh, to basically put artists back in the state of flow um, you know I think is a fundamental thing that that uh, you know we can give if we do it right yeah. and these these things aren't even connected right we talk about collaboration but like all three of us had to build something that bridge the gap between the walled gardens that are standalone pieces of desktop software that sit on computers and don't talk to each other. It's complete fragmentation across all production tools and, you know, like we have to tear that down and it's not an easy process. Like they don't give you any help in doing this. You want to name names here, anybody? <laughs> <laughs> name anyone in the industry. Yeah. Avid Pro Tools. Uh, 
But, you know, I think the first thing in our mission was, like, we had to connect that creation process to even enable collaboration to work. And, like, you know, once you realize that you can connect your music creation process, then you can do things like backup, version control, simple collaboration, and then sharing of your session data, metadata, Mm -hmm. easy sharing of session files, public sharing. We do public sharing, too. Um, And, like, you know, you kind of change. What we're trying to do is see, like, what happened in software over the last 30 years as like people started working together and they're like, well, I can't just keep overriding your work. Uh, let's invent a version control system and then distributed version control systems, and then open source movements. And like, it's all this stuff hasn't hit in music yet. And you know, we're the guys that are trying to bring that in. And when you think about virtual music collaboration, there's just so much to it in terms of catching up with the potential of the technology that is out there. And I can't wait to hear what happens once we all fulfill that. So. Well, it does seem in our world that audio has, music has fallen behind. We've we've got we've done that in video. We've done that in movies. We've done that in television mm. consumption. It's a scary. Why are we so far behind? In, it's it's in a music. really scary place. It's really you know not easy to raise money in the music industry just because of all the licensing. Because it's the music industry, yeah, yeah. you know, and like yeah. so, and also like the stuff that we're working on is the le- one of the least sexy parts of the industry. Like we're not doing live shows. We're not making music. We're not making cool sound. We're improving workflows for musicians. I think that that's I think that's the sad part, though, why people don't see the value in that. Because this is this is the, this is where we this is where it starts. This is where that yeah. collaborative effort of of music. This is where it starts. You know, what I mean, it's too many it's too many cases like you know um, where people are collaborating across across the waters, and there's not an easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We just basically have to create. I mean, of course, it's easier now through all the different things we named earlier, but it's still not. It's not cohesive at all. You know what I mean? It's like somebody sends me a file, and I have to basically convert the file and, or, or drag the file into whatever I'm using, and then make sure the tempo is tempo mapped. And you know, it's just it's still a process. Versus if somebody just sent me something. You open it. Oh, okay. I know exactly what to do. Yeah. And just jump right in. You know, from a creative perspective, that the, the less time you have trying to figure out how to start up, yeah. you know what I mean. That that that's more time you could go into creating. You know, and, and making whatever that particular song or sound embellish it. You know what yeah. I mean, and make it make it make it matter. You know what I mean. Well, you downtime. Have oh, good. Just real quick, downtime kills creativity. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. I mean, and that's what we're all trying to do is kill that downtime is so that you can get back in your creative space and stop messing with being an IT guy. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the fundamental problems is that you have, you know, sort of a bifurcation of when technology got started and you have sort of, you know, the original technologies companies that started, you know, with digital recording 20 years ago and they're caught in being 20-year-old technology companies and they think, you know, in a very particular way. They're sort of the pre-open source movement type companies. Um, you know, and then you look at companies that have been started. I mean, one actually really beautiful thing that's happened in in audio creation is the advent of mobile audio creation. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at just there's hunt, I mean, I think at last count there were somewhat north of 500 companies um, making apps for iOS just in music creation, which is kind of mind blowing. Now, granted, the platform is problematic just because it's such a huge bald garden due to Apple's decision making. But the companies that are building these products are thinking so differently than they did before. And so, so you know, what we're trying to do is kind of pull the old school into the new school because the old school products are still the ones that a lot of people are using, um, and and align that with a new way of thinking. And um, and you know, I think that you know you have to look at it in basically three key areas. One is the software itself. The second place is plugins. I mean, plugins are unfortunately probably the biggest problem for um, anybody because they're it, it's like a unique standalone instrument inside of a piece of audio and. For people to collaborate together uh, to align their, you know, their entire suite of, of software around, you know, a set of plugins that people are using is very difficult, um, and it's not priced in a way where, um, you know, people can actually just go out and buy a hundred dollar plugin to work on one song. So, so you know, um, the best way, you know, for us is to try at every point to eliminate decision making. Um, so, you know, to your point that you know the setup t- the setup times are lower, but I think fundamentally, you know, if the community really is going to go out and fight, um, you know, unifying plugin formats is a very big thing. Um, you know, unifying you know standards for um, 
you know, saving your work is another thing. Thinking through how long-term archival works is actually a big thing. I mean, I mean, one thing that I think about a lot is this is great that we're even solving the collaboration problem, but there's a whole other layer of this, which is, you know, what happens 20 years from now when you want to work on that project again, or you want to remix it, or you want to re-release it on a new format? You know, good luck opening up that Pro Tools session from 20 years ago, or good mm-hmm. luck getting that hard drive to spin up. And, you know, the cloud actually has some great, you know, prospects in solving that problem. But, you know, you find that, you know, if you look at Naris and you look at the Library of Congress and all these people that are trying to solve these problems, it's so academic and boring that, you know, no one's fucking getting anything done. And the reality is, is like metadata is a huge fundamental part of, you know, everything each person gets done because that's how they get paid that's how things get found and you know it's kind of i think it's companies like us that are just like fuck you old school we'll just do it ourselves and then hopefully we'll do a good enough job that it'll get adopted because i don't see any other way of any of this stuff happening let me address what everybody what does this for the art but they want to get paid are you incorporating systems that incorporate the, the rights holder metadata within this so it goes straight through to the publishing and simplify that process. Yeah, and Musistic, that's that's one of our goals that we're coming out with in the, in the next 12 months is capturing, since we want to be involved at the creation point as a, as a plug-in, we reside in as a plug-in manufacturer. Uh, uh, you know, we reside within the DAW, and so we're at the point of creation. So we think that if, you know, you're creating it right then, that's the time to capture the metadata, not at some later point. Yeah, we, we capture, like, you know, every save and the difference is made in every save. So we know who does what on everything that happens. Oh, yes. And then, yes, it's cool. So you can actually see who contributed yeah. to what. And we might not know what to do with that yet, but we have the data. Yeah. Right? I mean, so, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's enough. You know, then that, right. That's the gold mine. So you, right? you can look at a session and see, okay, there is that name, there's that name, there's that name. Yeah, it was right. saved on this day. You know, the, the fact then, you can do that. Yeah. And then even some of the licenses, so we do a lot of um, ways you can share your content to be remixed. It's hard to even use that word because it's to make a derivative work from it. Mm-hmm. And even things like Creative Commons are like not really designed well for the derivative works, especially in music. Uh, so we have our own license that we've developed called the Splicense uh, mm-hmm. that we're going to roll out soon. Ah, that's very funny. You know, very you know, geared towards the people who are trying to get an audience to their work, but not necessarily want to give up the rights like sync licensing and... Um, you know, they're, they're kind of publishing to the originals. So there's really complicated issues. It's funny. It's the deeper and deeper we get on copyright, the more you realize that a lot of people just like, ah. It, it all turns into gray areas, and it gets really messy. So we're just trying to drive ahead by collecting all the data and then enabling new ways in very safe ways uh, for people to be able to get recognized and monetize it. So. Well, do you see uh, the development more competitors coming into your markets, or where are we on the on on the the scale of? No, stay out uh, of our business. <laughs> <laughs> where where are we on your growth curve? I mean, I, the thing is, this business is so huge, and people don't realize it. I mean, like we have users in 122 countries around the world. You know, I mean. You sit in these music tech conferences, and it's like, hey, we all know what we're fucking talking about. And then you realize, like, there we have like. 3,000 people in the Congo that use our product, you know, and who knows what the hell they're doing with it, but we know they're making music because our system's designed for that, and I just think that, like, we're at, the, we're at, like, the beginning days of a whole new golden age of music creation where the whole world is now going to be interconnected and making the craziest new shit because the cost of making music has now dropped to zero. And, you know, in 10 years, everyone will have something like this in their pockets that'll be 100 times more powerful than this thing is. And so, you know, I mean, I hope that, the, you know, like, I hope that there's so many companies that create collaborative tools for people because that is the essence of art and that is the essence of the beautiful creation that we can all do. And, and there's no one monolith that's going to own everything because it just doesn't work that way. And, you know, I mean, how the fuck are there nine DAWs or 12? I don't even know how many there are, but yet they all seem to survive. And, you know, I, you know, I think, yeah, we're at, the, we're at the beginning of it all. You know, we're the trailblazers. But my hope is that, you know, any genius that wants to help make the world a better place by giving people tools to make more art should come and get it because you know there's billions of people on this planet and there's enough room for a lot of people to get in this. I think you'll see a lot more competition or just more products coming into this space uh, soon. Not necessarily right now. I think the trailblazing, like the stuff I think that we're all doing, 
there's no real comps, you know, like yeah. we, yeah. we model a lot of the stuff we did after the software industry and like how GitHub, if you know anything about them, kind of what they did for code. Uh, and, you know, it, but the funny thing is they were just a small social layer on top of existing systems, like a version control system called Git. But there's nothing for music. So we're like, all right, well, we'll build our version control system and we'll build our social layer and we'll build our new distribution thing. We think we got this right. And we have like the first kind of like water flowing through the pipes and it's working. But then you're like, well, okay, here's where it isn't like code and we need to change that. So like we're still, once I think we crack or, you know, people in the space crack the experience and starts working, then you'll start seeing more fast followers. But like right now it's freaking, it's really hard uh, we're, we're working with walled gardens and it's very, you know, there's a lot of uh, intelligence to go to breaking down those walls and connecting the fragmentation. And, you know, when there's no comps out there, it's, it's hard to get past the very early stages of your product. So I think they will come uh, after you start seeing more success in the space. Well, Brian, as yeah. user, how do you, you're obviously at the forefront of this. How do you discover new tools? Um, well, I'm really into trying to problem solving. You know, when when there's a issue that I'm having and I and I can't get I get past it, I'm like, okay, what tool is out there for me to to solve? So I may just go to like you know Google and type in you know I'm having a problem with so and so and so and so. What what tool is there? What tools are there for me to you know break down this problem? Um, a lot of my information comes from that way, from from that lane. Um, and also, then coming to things like this, this is the reason why I was really so hell bent to really come to the to the music conference, the music tech conference. I, you know, I'm always trying to figure out how to make my product better. I'm always trying to figure out how to, you know, how to solve the issue. You know what I mean? Um, for me, I think where it becomes a little problematic is that I'm very, very uh, aware of where the actual business of recorded music is so um it, 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 it could become a bit uh what's the word i'm looking for do you depressing, hedge, do depressing? you say so do you hedge on say investing in certain technologies maybe that'd be time money yeah, yeah, yeah. dedication yeah. yeah yeah i mean and, and for me like i say when, when you're looking at the the business of music changing and you being on the forefront of that change scary from a business perspective, it also directly affects what happens with you from a creative perspective. You know what I mean? I think that for people coming into the music business, there's always this um, this hope, you know, this thing like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting, I'm jumping into the business, and you're eager to get every piece of information, every, you want to, you know, because you, you don't know no better. You know, at this point, you're trying to learn, and you're learning a new business as the business is evolving at the same time. You know what I mean? It's not like, when I came into the music business, it was very set. Very, this is what it is. You go to, you know, you, you, you have a project studio that has like, you know, a little 8-track and, you know, you write your little songs and hopefully the, the, the song gets to the right people, to the right publisher. Then from there, you get signed and then from there, you go to, you have your first experience in a big studio and, and from there, you, you take your first, your first trip to LA and mix your first song and, you know, there was a real process. You know what I mean? At this point, it's it's none of that. So for a person who has been in the music business for almost 20 years, you look back and you're like, okay, it becomes scary to look at it change, right, from a business perspective, which directly affects your, create, your creative shit. So for me, I'm at a place where creatively it's ground zero. It's anything that I can find that can help me think outside of the box from collaborative from whatever I'm using to create it, from whoever I'm, you know, um, creating it with. Like for example, right? A- another way we, that we that we do collaborations, I'm, I I may connect with another producer uh, as far as sounds is concerned. Like I may have a you know a track that's 100 percent done, right? But I'm like, yo, man, this kick is just killing me, and I don't went through like a hundred kicks. I cannot, I can't get it. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not, not, you know, that may hit somebody like, yo, man, I'm going to send you this sequence, man. I, I don't know what's going on with this kick, you know. And there has to be an easier way to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've done it before, but it was a process, right? So that's the whole point of, you know, me being here and just figuring out that whole bit. But all of that has to do with the way that the music business has changed. You know what I mean? It, it, one direct, directly affects the other. And I think that that's what's happening. Like, you guys on the forefront of the collaborative effort and creating that whole movement this is all I mean it's all new 
it's all new for a guy like me it's, you know, who's been in the business for almost 20 years. You look, you're like, man, it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> you know, it, could, it, could, it could be a little overwhelming, you know, and, you, you know and, and it's like, how do you monetize it, right? Because music is, is... Well, then we, we get to distribution. So let's, yeah. let's talk about distribution now. And, and are you guys, I mean, what you're doing is possible to enable going to direct a fan, putting, you know, so you can become basically enabling record labels. Yeah, so one of the things that we're, we do is we kind of let you uh, inst- go beyond the two-channel audio in a way to consume music. We actually use the session file uh, data to actually create kind of like a, a little bit of like Rap Genius where you've got annotations from the artist. You can see all the different tracks right out of the DAW, so you can see their, like people can use the, D- the DNA of their track to give you solo the stems, look at all the clips, see info from them, and then also offer to like remix it and, and kind of create this new distribution process because we really think that, you know, right now music is kind of this two-channel audio release that's like a finished product, but we think the distribution model should change to like your music as a seed and you know it you should plan as, as the record labels move away from selling music into needing things streamed the original master might not get enough plays anymore for them to become profitable units and you may need to say okay let world let's go remix let's make 10 different versions of this one country version one you know hip hop version one EDM version and see if we can get enough plays from this composition um, and so, you know, we're really trying to think about distribution away from the standard publishing model and away from saying music is finished and just say that people should release, they should release often, and they should allow to, you know, kind of plant that seed and see where it goes. And, and we're trying to avoid the distribution issue because, I mean, the way music is distributed is being disrupted, has been completely disruptive. But what we want to focus on is the creation of that because people still consume music. I mean, like crazy obviously but we want people to be able to create that music so our focus is what we call m to m or musician to musician now it's not that we can't lever other leverage other technologies going forward but primarily right now we're focused on the creative space chris um i think that you know one of the things that i i've really appreciated about the disruption of music has been that you know to your point of having been in it in a long time is that um you know Artists and entrepreneurs, you know, are really the same thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they, they do something because they love it and there's no guarantee of success, um, you know, and they just sleep on couches until they make it. And I think that, um, you know, our goal is to, to build something that's broad enough so that all these really smart people that are sitting on all sides of it, the artists, the, te- the technological folks, business people around it, you know, have a, a wide enough berth to play from to figure out, like, what works best for them. Because, you know, who would have thought Macklemore could have even existed five years ago, yeah. you know? And, and, and he's, I mean, they're, they're just killing it. And, I, and you want to talk about the future of music. I mean, the future of music is, uh, uh, oh, shit, there's no rules anymore. And, and I think that that's really the important thing for people to realize. And I think just like I was saying earlier about the future of, you know, that we're entering a golden age, you know, I mean, it's going to be a blend of so many things. It's going to be, you know, the DNA of music. It's going to be the tracks themselves. It's going to be, you know, apps that get built around music. It's going to be experiences that are created with music. Um, you know, I mean, like everyone talks about the death of the music business, but, you know, 10 years ago there wasn't a ringtone business and now it's a multi-billion dollar business. Yeah. You know, like who fucking knows what people are going to do in five years of music, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and that's what I think so rad about it. And so, you know, our view on it for us has always been, you know, build something broad and extensible so that it can support wild thinking and, and let that be the dime that people work on top of because, you know, artists are smart. Like they know how to hustle cash, you know? I mean, Every sex successful rock band I've ever worked with or every artist I've ever known, they're fucking street hustlers. Like, they know how to pull a dime out of a penny. Yep. So they're going to figure it out. And, and they're going to figure it out without having to deal with their record labels, right? Because those guys don't know how to do it. So I think it's going to be really awesome to see what happens in the coming years when you know, people have tools in their hands where they can actually go out and do shit and they're not encumbered by the walls that were built many years ago uh, by old business models. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and to add to what he's saying, like, we talk about this on a regular basis, you know, amongst, you know, creatives in the music business. And everybody has distinct different views on it. But one thing that everybody now in 2014 is, is, is definitely uh, sure of is that the music business as we knew it is done. You know what I mean? The, the, record, comp- the record business as we knew it, anybody who was in it, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, the record business as we know it is, is over. 
and we are directly we are directly in the middle of the new frontier, right? And when we have to look at music, music has always been, you know, they, 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 there was once a time, not too long ago, where you had to market music to sell, right? To this point, right, we know that music, for the most part, the, the younger generation don't even have an understanding of what purchasing music really, that experience of purchasing music really means. A lot of it, like you talked to my nephews, all of them, they get music for free. Right, they get it for free or they stream it. Right, so in my mind, it makes me see okay, music actually is the tool, is the marketing tool, to get us to do different things. Right, so if that's going to get us to do, like you said, the ringtone business is is, is huge. Right, you know, you, the, the, until it's wow, you can't, you can't, you can't steal a ringtone. You know what I mean? Like that's so crazy. I just thought about that. Like think about piracy. You can steal whole, like you can get whole records. At the palm of your hand, but when you want to get a ringtone, you can't go to SoundCloud and get a ringtone. You got to buy it. So we have to create this whole process. We have to create. We have to find a way to 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 hone music into a way where we can create the revenue for it, the money. Because because music itself, buying records itself, like you can't even go platinum if they're not put because they're not putting enough units on the street. You know what I mean? You know. But it's crazy because in Asia, people. Diamonds. People selling 10 million records still. They still got record stores over there. And I asked the guys, like, yo, I went to Tower Records. First of all, I hadn't been to Tower Records in years because Tower Records closed in, in the States, right? Go to Tower Records in Tokyo. And I asked one of the, one of the executives at the record label I was working at. I was like, yo, so you guys sell tangible units. You guys still sell million, two million, three million, four million records. He's like, yes. I said, well, how's your digital sales look then? Because for me, I kind of felt like, well, if one... If if the tangible media is selling, then obviously the digital sales has got to be, you know, that can't be the same. Yeah. It's like no, the digital sales are the same too. You know, they 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 sell. We sell as much digital as you guys sell over there. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't understand what, but they, they understand it. But they look at us like we're crazy. Like they look at the music business over there, like yo, like y'all got it all wrong over there. You know what I mean? But in Japan, they don't believe in stealing, neither. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really a culture thing. Like they don't believe in stealing. They want to, they want the experience. They want to go over there and they want to buy your record. They like you, you know. There's an artist, <laughs> there's an artist by the name of Horace Brown. This guy has not had a record out since the mid 1990s. This dude still goes to Japan and he still make, he's still touring, he's still making money. You know, it's like the craziest thing in the like world to me. You know what I mean? Like once they like you. You good? I'm big in Japan. You good, huh? But I, you know, I didn't ask about streaming. But the thing is, even if they're streaming, the fact that they're still buying it is amazing to me. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I it's still amazing to me that they still actually buy records over there. You know what I mean? And they look at us like it's amazing that y'all don't buy records. Well, okay, so when we talk about ancillary revenue streams, we know sync licensing is the holy grail for much. How much interaction are you guys having with production companies in the film or television world or advertising world to get them on board with in-house producers, musicians, or getting your musicians cooked up with them to collaborate with the director and music supervisor in real time? You know, our product... I think there's a lot of people that write scores for films and stuff that use our product just because it's designed to allow you to be in a multi-format environment. Um, you know, so like if you're working with a Pro Tools session and a big, you know, QuickTime movie or whatever. Um, and I think what we found is that, and you know, it's, it, everything's been so decentralized. Um, you know, like, you know, that um, it's clear that um, you know the fundamental shift is that it's not just LA and New York anymore. You know, I mean, we have composers in New Zealand that are sending files to London. Um, you know, we don't really get involved as much in the social aspects that, you know, the way that Splice does, but, um, uh, you know, the old, the sort of older companies, the advertising agencies and the film businesses, things like that, they're still freaked out about security and, you know, they just haven't gotten the, the word that, like, we care about it too. Um, and I think oftentimes, um, you know, they get too hung up with, you know, uh, what they think is secure, what they think works for them. And, and the reality is, is it's just, it takes time for big ships to actually, like, launch a submarine. And it, I think 
eventually you'll just see that it'll it'll turn over but you know they 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 still want to use you know really expensive old big iron type systems because they've been told that that's the best way to do things and i think you know you have to make a decision in technology if you're going to be like supremely enterprise oriented or if you're going to try to disrupt everything and get everyone to come to the approach that you're taking and i think that's kind of where we're at um, you know, the enterprise is a completely different business to get involved in. And while there's a lot of crossover, I, I think it requires a different type of thinking. We intentionally stay away from that right now. Like, uh, like Chris and I were actually talking about this before the panel. It's like the workflow of those guys, especially as it's, you know, they're so concerned about getting this done to release for their, for their paycheck, you know, like, and it's very part of their workflow type world. And also like we, as Chris said, we're really more in the, so we, we really like the social side of things. And, you know, for us, the, the user base has been very electronic, uh, you know, bedroom producer to very, you know, big producer, but the kind of guys who don't need, you know, a big studio who can do things in that kind of more compact way, um, or at least most of their work. Um, so we kind of stay away from that, but we still, I said before about the distribution side, you know, we, we kind of want every seed to have a sync licensing opportunity because a community can guide it in a certain path and we can track back to who actually did the work on it and see, you know, every kind of good idea or good composition get evolve itself into a sync opportunity. And we're actually moving in that direction. You know, we think that once people are, are really collaborating using our tool that we'll, we're developing this database of complete songs and, and want people to opt into a sequencing opportunity so that, that we can be that mechanism. And whether we partner with somebody else or, or do it ourselves, you know, we're, we're kind of agnostic on the platform. That's one reason we approached it the way we did is that we work with 20 different DAWs on both Mac and Windows. So we're trying to stay really in the middle road. So, you know, we see that as an opportunity and we're willing to work with, you know, whatever, whatever process comes out of that. You know, one thing we've—I'll open this up for questions in a second—but we've had some issues collaborating in person at our studio because the smoke gets so thick, <laughs> people can't even see the screens going around there. Um, anyway, so let's open this up for questions. Kelly, up in front, want to go first? We have a microphone. Guys, it's great—a great conversation. Um, I just want to say that um, half a, half my lifetime ago, um, I birthed the music focus at Apple and uh, Pro Tools that allowed musicians to be able to liberate themselves from expensive recording studios and nice. work direct. So um, then I, 20 years ago, launched with Todd Rundgren the, the first artist direct-to-fan subscription service. So, you know, um, worked on Rocket Networks, which, you know, 12, 15, 20 years ago, Will Henshaw was enabling this virtual collaboration, you know, between Bowie and Eno and everybody else. So to say that you guys are trailblazers is true at the level you're at now, but we've been doing this for a really long time. And we set out to disrupt the traditional music industry. I come out of a label background before Apple. So um, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about why it's taken so long. Because you're, here you are at this edge of what's coming next. But a lot of us have been doing this for a heck of a long time. I think one of the, one of the issues that, that we found is that, and to your point, is that uh, like, you know, years ago I spoke to Peter Gocher, and he was telling me about... Uh, you know, when he was trying to raise money for, for Pro Tools, and he went to the VCs and they said, well, you know, how many recording studios are there in the United right. States? And he said, oh, I don't know, a couple hundred. And they're like, right, there's no business for you, right? And so obviously he said, well, fuck you. Yep. I'm going to do it anyway. And he helped start this movement. I think that, you know, but what, what's happened is, is there's been, you know, you know, like that started 20 years ago. And the companies that started way back when are kind of stuck in a certain lane that they started in and you know what's happened is is you know old oftentimes old tech companies kind of lose their way and they have to kind of it's hard for them to sort of reinvent themselves and so so it's not that we're trailblazing the entire notion of digital music it's that what we're trying to do is break that that the the unfortunate situation where a lot of workflows have just been the same for so long and we're utilizing technologies that didn't exist 20 years ago to enhance that experience and to try to break down certain walls you know and i think that's the problem that you've had is that there's just so many walled gardens that it makes it difficult for people to collaborate on a global scale and so for us like you know steve's point earlier like 20 years ago if someone ever said to you i'm going to share my source code with you they would have just laughed you out of the room you know, and now that's what we do. Like we, sh we actually do that, you know, and effectively what's happening now is we're bringing that same way of thinking to making music that, you know, like there, there shouldn't be secrets anymore. There should be collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the fundamental change. 
From the technology side, though, quite honestly, when Rocket Network started, the speeds just weren't there. I mean, and, and now you still struggle sending a really huge audio file. You know, it takes time to sync. But for those guys, yeah, you might have had the vision, but the infrastructure just wasn't there. And we're just now on the point where the infrastructure actually supports transfer of high-quality audio at a reasonable rate. And, well, that's somebody else's problem. Uh, <laughs> timing and luck are at least a third of every startup success. So it, timing yeah. is just a big part of it. Just to follow that up with a question about the transferring of really big data, but my question is in real time, real-time collaboration. When will I able, when will I be able to jam with a guy in, in Brazil? You know, when know, we can, know defe- I, when we can defeat the speed of light. So so latency latency is the no 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 hold physics on physics or physics? I mean no. I, no no that's a very that's a technical answer. When we can defeat the speed of light. But it's, it's happening right now with the whole world down. Right for so for hold on a second. So for example, Skype Google Hangout, these tools allow you to, to talk to somebody right. else, but there's latency in this, right? Yeah. And not at studio quality either. Sure. No, I'm talking about not for recording purposes. I'm talking just about you guys, this is the whole oh, yeah, thing about collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about real time collaboration and, and if, if that can happen online. Uh, yeah. you know. There are, there are people in that space. There's a that lets you do that. You know, yeah. I mean, I just, Jam Hub. Yeah, I, I think that it's just, what, at least in my experience, what I found is that it's, it's, a, it's more of a corner case that people really want true you know, like real-time collaboration in that way. Um, because um, if you look at the complexity of making music, you know, if two people are turning knobs at the same time, you know, it, it can, you know, throw things off. And so... Um, I'm sorry, just to interrupt, I'm talking about, like, you know, guitar and drums or something like that. Well, that, then that's the speed of light problem. Because, like, I, I could talk to you, but, and then you hear my voice. So it's just... It's just so, so you know, being at the forefront of this industry, you don't see that, that, ha- that changing, basically. It's not a problem we're trying to solve, but I can just say that, like, you know, it's. But 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 I think the problem with it is, is that like, if you're in Brazil and I'm in New York, it does take time for any data to get from Mm -hmm. A to B, and even if it's as fast as the speed of light, there's still latency. We're still trying to get async right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. I had a question about uh, open music. Yeah. And so you mentioned the open source data, open, uh, you know, the open source collaboration. Are people actually sharing their own compositions? Like, are they open sourcing their compositions, even though, you know, it's so close to heart for for artists? Yeah, I mean, th- we're we're seeing a lot of people do it for a couple different reasons. Like, one, a lot of people want to teach. They want to be thought leaders. They want to sh- inspire people to go make more music, and they love. You know, they, they knew that learning some of these things was a very hard, long road, and they don't think it should be that hard. And they they just want to teach. Uh, other people want to see where someone takes their work. They want to see, like, well, what's the world going to do with this? This is a track that's been sitting on my computer for two years. If I don't put it somewhere, it's just going to, it's going to be dead. They actually don't like when I say dead. They're, they're, tracks are on ice. They're on ice. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, like, like the, some of these people want to get tracks out there. They want to work with the world. And we're actually doing uh, a lot very soon towards incentivizing you to do that. And uh, basically building a whole system that rewards you for being more open. And, uh, you know, as I said, like that sync licensing opportunity could be sitting just, you know, a few remixes away. And if you've never put it out there, you'll never even have a chance to see that. So we call it creative crowdsourcing. I mean, that's that's what we want to do, because, you know, we're all limited as musicians. We're limited to our network. Some of us have enormous music networks. Some of us don't. Some of us may be the next Brian Cox, but, you know, we don't know a bass player that plays in that style. So that's what we want our tool to be able to go out and find and collaborate with people on an open source basis. I think, I mean, if you think about how many people each year go to school to learn to make music, it's far more than there are jobs available. You know, I mean, I think it's just in people's heart to know. And I think once you start down that path, no matter what journey you take in your career or your hobbies, you know, if you care about it, you always want to know more. You know, and so, you know, the the notion of being proprietary, I think, you know, is starting to go. I mean, we share everything in our lives. You know, it's insane. What's I mean, it's almost like what don't we share? And I think that, and that's that's a that's a big change in how people have been thinking because we're now comfortable with with the, with sharing our ideas, sharing our thoughts, mm-hmm. sharing our personal experiences, sharing fucking everything. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what's so neat about what's going on is that the, the state of accelerated growth and learning has gone way faster than ever before because we're actually now comfortable in doing that. And that's the same thing like with open source code. People were like, why would I share my source code with you? And then I realized if we started working together to solve problems, we could make, we could, you'd write a library, I'd write a library, we'd work together and we'd build a 
great applications on top of it. Yeah. Also, music education is not so great yet. I, I find that learning these DAWs, they're nearly impossible to get off the ground with. And so, you know, one of the directions we're looking in, we're working with a bunch of educational places to make it so that one click, you see a session, you see a video, you open it right in your DAW, you learn, you press save, we automatically grade you because we have the DNA, we know what work you did, we know if you matched the, the answer. So, you know, we think that being open about this stuff can also lead to a pretty incredible education opportunity. And that's what gets me excited because I want to see what the, hear what the world sounds like once we kind of, once we get there. Yeah, to add to it, education, I think what's amazing about that process is like, you know, most creatives, we, we don't read the manual. Yeah. So we kind of just, <laughs> you kind of just cut it on. You're like, all right, Technology, what, what, do we jazz. Do? what do we do? You know what I mean? Um, so, but, I, but it's crazy because as of late, what I've been doing is going back and just like learning, like really learning everything. Like before you, you, learn, you learn things, you kind of pick up a, a certain way that you, you know, specifically do things. But then it's like, you know, I was with somebody like three months ago and I was doing something on Logic and I'm pretty quick, you know, on Logic, Logic 10. And the guy was like, yo, like, you know, there, there's an easy way to do that. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm like, this is the fast way. And he was like, no, you can, you know. Yeah. So it's just the education part is so yeah, important because... And people spend a lot of money on this stuff, too. I mean, we open sourced a track from an artist, uh, this guy Henry Fong, a few weeks ago. And in the Facebook comments, it's like, I've spent $10,000 on music production and I learned more from your session file than I did the entire time. You know, like, because people don't see finished tracks. I mean, how many of you have started tracks? How many, the ratio of things you've started and loops you've just played on for two hours to finish tracks is like, you know, exponential. So, you know, seeing people's finished work, seeing their mastering chains, seeing the things that you never even get to encounter are revolutionary learning opportunities. So so we have time for one more. The gentleman in the back. Product planning for Yamaha. We own Steinberg. And I I just like to say... um, a couple things. First of all, uh, in the mid-90s, uh, Charlie Steinberg, who founded you know, the company, found out at an AM show that uh, a certain very famous DAW company was going to wall their garden. Uh, it was Abbott, Pro Tools. And so he went back and he developed two technologies, ASIO and VST. They're all free license. Yep. Anybody can use them. Probably Jim is using a lot of that technology. We are. Um, so there are companies that are kind of old tech, but do believe in sharing the technology that they develop. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. The second thing is is that actually uh, Steinberg, the last things that Charlie has been working on is VST Connect Pro, yeah. Yeah. which is actually a very cool thing. And it allows kind of Skype inside of a walled garden of Cubase, unfortunately. Yeah. So I'm going to come up to you after this and see if you want to share your session format with us so we can support you on Splice. I'd be all for it. So, okay, folks, so we learned today, stay in school and sharing is good. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, panelists. It's been fantastic.